like that. What's up, everybody? Welcome that. to like this. What is it? Monday. Oh God, we haven't recorded a show on a Monday in a while. It's been a fat ass minute since we recorded an episode on a Monday, but I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited. Again, we're back in a little bit of a groove right now, or at least trying to get back into some sort of a positivity groove here. We recorded a show on Friday, and for those of you who missed Friday's show, talked about the United States making the World Cup for the first time since 2014 after failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Jeez. Though they lost to Costa Rica on the last day of qualifying, they they needed to lose by six goals to not make the World Cup. They lost by two. Didn't matter. Finished third in the group. Didn't matter. Still made the World Cup. It doesn't matter where you finish in the group standings. As long as you're in the final three in CONCACAF to make the World Cup. Because if they lost, God forbid, lost by six goals, they would have had to be in the playoff, which technically speaking, they would. it's kind of like those play-in games for the tournament where you're... Uh, no, it's not. It's not really like that, is it? Because you're not technically in the World Cup. It doesn't really count the same. It's a World Cup qualification thing. That's after the World Cup qualification thing. But an important thing here that I did not know happened so soon. At least I didn't feel like it happened so soon. But I was out to lunch with my dad on Friday. We went to Blue Shark over in, Des Mo over in Urbandale, and we were sitting there, and I turned around and go, oh my god, the World Cup qualifying groups, the groups are getting decided right now. The groups for the World Cup are getting chosen right now, and the United States is in a group once again with England. Oh, yes. The old motherland is back, and we are going to exact our revenge against her on Black Friday. This might be the most watched American soccer game of all time. I don't know what the current record is. I would assume it's some World Cup game, maybe the game against Belgium in 2014 or something like that. But this game is going to be ridiculous. Now, the last time these two teams played was the 2010 World Cup, as we said. And the 2010 World Cup was really the first World Cup I remember watching. Like, sitting down and remember where I was each game that took place during the 2010 World Cup. Now, the 2010 World Cup was an interesting time for the United States because they had a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, but they had a few young players and were kind of having a squad turnover, which is kind of the same situation the United States is going through right now. Where Right now, technically speaking, they had the youngest squad in uh, World Cup qualifying. They had an average age of 24.6 or something like that, 24 and a half essentially, but this squad was weird. Like, Tim Howard, they had one person in this entire squad that had over 100 caps, and that was Landon Donovan who had 123. Tim Howard only had 51 at the time. And Landon Donovan, the crazy part was, he wasn't even 30 yet. He was 28 years old. And he even played in the, 2018, the 2014 World Cup. I almost said 2018, but <laughs> no one played the 2018 World Cup. <laughs> but remember, Donovan had that weird, um, what do you want to call it, sabbatical? And then got mad after he didn't make the World Cup squad when Jurgen Klinsmann put Mix Diskarud in. And, you know, Mix Diskarud wearing the number 10 jersey for the United States was not a not ideal. And then there was the conversation of, you know, Chris Wondolowski missing the goal against Belgium that would have, I believe, won them the game or at least tied the game. Would Donovan have missed that? But would have would have Donovan have been the substitution or would Chris Wondolowski have been the substitution? Who the hell knows? But players like that, Aaron Johansson was another one who was the substitute for Josie Altidore after he popped his hamstring in the first game against uh, Ghana. But this one, Josie Altador was 20, 20 years old. 20. He had 25 caps to his name already. Like, this squad was a very interesting one. Gochiani Awu was on the squad. Carlos Bocanegro was the captain. Michael Bradley was 22 years old at the time. Marcus, Demarcus Beasley, 92 caps to his name. Hercules Gomez. Then this World Cup, similarly to that of 2010, the U.S.'s biggest issue for the team is the striker position. Now, their best striker right now I guess you get, again, depending on who you ask, but I think the top two guys right now, we talked about this a little bit on Friday, of it being Jesus Ferreira from FC Dallas and Ricardo Pepe, formerly of FC Dallas, now of Augsburg, over in Germany. And they're both extremely young players. Your best striker the United States had at this time was a 20-year-old 20 Josie Altador. 20 years old. <laughs> He's the number one striker. And uh, he had, like, some Robbie Finley there, Edson Buttle, Hercules Gomez, as we already mentioned before, Clint Dempsey was a winger at the time. Him and Donovan were playing on the left and right wing in a 4-4-2 by Bob Bradley. And, yeah, interesting squad. Benny Failhaber would come in as a substitute every once in a while. Jose, uh, Jose Torres would come in as a substitute, too. Uh, Ricardo Clark and Michael Bradley were mainly the midfield pairing, but Marisa Dew would also partner Bradley in midfield as well. Bocanegra rotate between left and right, left back and center back. Then you had uh, Jonathan Bornstein. He would play at left back as well as teacher Rundelow, the greatest right back in the United States men's national team history currently was there as well. 
And then Carlos Bocanegra would partner mostly Jay Demerit in the center back partnership. Jo- Jonathan Bornstein would also rotate in at center back as well, I guess. But mostly it was like th- if we had to predict, like make a, ty- a starting lineup for someone who never watched this World Cup, but you know someone of the team, it was Tim Howard at goalie, obviously, Steve Trundle at right back, uh, Jay Demarin at right center back, Carlos Bocanegra at left center back, Jonathan Bornstein at left back. Right wing was Lane, uh, Clint Dempsey, then a center midfield partnership of Michael Bradley and Ricardo Clark, Donovan on the left, and then Robbie Finley and Josie Altador up top. Robbie Finley <laughs> was, I don't know what this dude did. He's, he played 11 times for the United States men's national team, scored zero goals. Very useless <laughs> strike partnership here. Edson Buttle is 29 years old at three caps to his name at this time. He had 11, go- 11 caps and three goals to his name at the end of his time with the national team. And Hercules Gomez, apart from a weird stretch, and I believe 2013 for the United States, he really didn't do a whole lot for the national team. Or 2012, I should say. 2012, 2013. He didn't really do a whole lot. 24 caps, six appearances. Before that, in 2011, he had zero caps. He had 11 in 2012, scored three goals, scored a goal against Brazil when they got slacked by the Brazilian national team. I think it was 4-1 to one in, in Washington, D.C. I believe it was 4-1, something like that. Terrible game. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible game. Yeah, FedEx Field land. Okay, land over Maryland. Whatever. But yeah, this squad, looking back at it, this World Cup was awesome, though. Like, we were playing, I was playing for JUSC at the time in 2010, and a lot of our coaches were English. Came from England, came over to coach the team, and all of that stuff. So we had a big thing at Johnson High School, the old Johnson High School, where we had a whole soccer tournament, whole day planned of soccer activities at Johnston's football stadium at that time. And we had a whole day, and then we went into the auditorium of the high school and watched the United States versus England. Steven Gerrard scored the first goal of the game for England, and Clint Dempsey scored <laughs> one of the funniest World Cup goals of all time. Not a great shot. Rob Green should have definitely saved it. It bounced right off his hands and rolled into the goal. And it made it even better because prior to the World Cup starting, there was a bunch of tabloids in England that had the group's name, had all the teams in their group. So along with the United States and England was Algeria and Slovenia. So England starts with E, Algeria A, Slovenia S, and then they put Yanks with a Y. Easy for England to qualify through. You know what place England came in in this group? Second. Because the United States, in one of the greatest games of all time, at least the greatest moment in the United States men's national team history, maybe not the greatest game because it finished one nothing, but the greatest moment in the United States men's national team history against Algeria, Landon Donovan scores like the 92nd minute to not only win the game for the United States and not only qualify for the next round, but win the group. A group that England said was easy prior to the World Cup. And now you look at this England team that they had at their disposal. And this is a very solid. You've got a lot of legends on this team. Steven Jadad, as we already said. We had Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, Ashley Cole, one of the greatest left backs of all time. Did I say John Terry? I don't really remember if I said him or not. And then you had the likes of Michael Carrick, who barely played, if I remember correctly. Joe Hart came in. David James. They didn't have a number one goalie at the time. They were wanting to play Joe Hart, but David James and Rob Green came into the tournament as the number one and two options. Rob Green started the tournament. And I think David James played the second game, Joe Hart the third, and I think David James played in the knockout stage against Germany and they, where they lost, I think, 4-1. Something like that. 4-something. But yeah, if you look at the English team now, this English team was fine. You had some big names, big hitters like, again, Cole, Gerrard, Lampard, and Rooney. But this current England team is way more complete than the last one. That, that England. I guess not the last one, the 2010 team. Like, you have... England really don't have any weaknesses on their roster. Like, if you look at their best starting 11, it rivals that of almost every national team in the world. Not a lot of national teams in the world say they have Harry Kane up top. Not a, now, their defense can be questionable at times. Harry Maguire's been somewhat inconsistent for somewhat. Just inconsistent for Manchester United. John Stones at times for Man City's been very inconsistent. Luke Shaw's been inconsistent. They have a 1,000 right-backs. So, like, there's some questions around the defense, but they've never really let them down in regards to uh, the English national team. Same goes for Jordan Pickford, who has saved his best appearances for his professional career for England as opposed to what he's done for Everton, where at times with Rafa Benitez as the manager for Everton, they were trying to replace him at certain portions. But Jordan Pickford, those are always going to be speculation on whether he's going to be the starter or not, will be the starter. Though Aaron Ramsdale's played really well for Arsenal, though Nick Pope is a very talented goalkeeper, his distribution's not as good as Pickford's, and Dean Henderson just hasn't played. So Jordan Pickford, unless he gets injured, or unless some goalie goes insane this next 
six months and then going into the next season, because again, the World Cup is in November, Jordan Pickford's going to be the starter for England in this World Cup. And then you've got a midfield with Declan Rice. Jude Bellingham is one of the best teenage talents in the entire world. Jordan Henderson when he's healthy. Mason Mount. Phil Foden. Another extremely talented young player. Have we mentioned... Who else have we not mentioned? There are a few, there's a few players we haven't mentioned here. But you got, like, up top, Raheem Sterling. Harry Kane, as we said. Jack Grealish. When he's on, he's a very, very good player. Jaden Sancho is getting more and more in form as we speak. But Kyle Saka has been balling out. Dalmit Calvert-Lewin is a very, very good number two option behind Harry Kane. If you want to go that direction, he's been battling a lot of injuries this past season. So maybe he's not the guy you go to to uh, give Harry Kane a breather every once in a while. And Marcus Rashford, when he's back and kicking it, which I don't even know if he's going to be able to make the World Cup squad with how he's been playing right now for Manchester United. But again, there's a lot of time between now and November for Marcus Rashford to get his feet back under him. He's battled a lot of injuries. He's played a crap ton of games for Manchester United without any breaks. He was injured all summer. So he's needing some time that he can't be afforded because Manchester United's not in a very good spot, and he's considered one of the more important players on the team. He's in a very bad run of form. Hopefully he figures it out because I really like watching Marcus Rashford. He's one of my favorite players to watch. But England's deep. And we didn't even mention like, the right backs, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Reese James, Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. Trippier. Like, there's some good right backs. Like, this team is very, very good. I don't know where they rank currently in the FIFA World Rank. They rank fifth. They ranked fifth, and they were third ranked in October of 2021. This team's made it to the semifinals of the last World Cup and the final of the Euros. Lost on penalties in the Euros. Won on penalties against Colombia in the last World Cup. Lost to Croatia, who was the Cinderella team of the World Cup, and Luka Modric won the Ballon d'Or that year. Like, this is a different England team than the one that played in 2010. Because the last the England team that played in 2010 didn't even qualify for Euro 2008. This England team's on the back of a semifinals and a finals appearance in back-to-back tournaments. They're feeling themselves right now. And they'll line up in a back five. They don't care. They'll line up in a back three and play a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, depending on what midfield partnership they have with Declan Rice. If they want to play Bellingham, if they want to play uh, Henderson, if they want to play Phillips, whatever it is, this is a very good England team. And the United States team is very, very young. And there's a lot of good players. There's a ton of really good players in the United States that we've already mentioned, like Pulisic. Weston McKinney is going to be back and fully healthy. He did an interview with Fox Sports the other day that said he's going to be back and fully playing in April, which is right now, at the end of April, though. Uh, Tyler Adams, Serginio Dest, really talented going forward. Anthony Robinson, born in England, plays for uh, Fulham, has played for Everton in Birmingham City. He's not to know a lot of these players. Miles Robinson and Zach... Um, Walker Zimmerman at center back. Zach Steffen at goalie. Or Matt Turner, depending on what your preference is. Jonas Musso, who's played with some of these players before on the underage teams for England. Giovanni Reina. I think he's from England as well, because his dad was playing for Manchester City at the time, I think, when he was born, or Sunderland. I think he was playing in England when Gio was born. The only questions, again, the same things that happened for the 2010 World Cup until now, U.S. doesn't know who their best striker is. Like, there could be any of the five options that we gave, or six options that we gave on Friday. And no one would be too surprised about what the striker options are. I think the favorites, again, right now, are Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira. And before these past few games, and I guess the last set of World Cup qualifiers as well, I don't think a lot of people really considered Jesus Ferreira one of the top options for the United States at striker. I think most people coming off of, let's just say, the Gold Cup, even though... You had good performances from DK and stuff like that, Matthew Hoppy. Most people consider Jayassi Zardes still the number one guy, and he even played in the Gold Cup and had some good performances in there as well. I think he's a very complete striker, and Greg Berhalter has shown an affiliation of, uh, what is that word called? Affinity for Jayassi Zardes for the United States men's national team. But man, I'm excited. The other teams in the United States World Cup group are Iran. And then we got the UEFA Path A qualifier. So we got Scotland versus Ukraine taking place in Glasgow in June. And then the final game is going to be between Wales and the winner of Scotland and Ukraine in Cardiff on June, in June as well. And then we will know who the United States will be playing in their first game because the United States will be playing that team and will be facing off against Iran. I'm excited. I didn't even know that was taking place on Friday. The qualification groups or the groups and all that stuff was taking place. 
I'm super happy it did because it gave me something to talk about for the show. <laughs> because, man, sometimes when you got no football and you just released a mock draft, there's not a lot of stuff you need to talk about, especially since most of the pro days are already done in the NFL draft and all that stuff. Free agency, all the big moves have already happened, like Deshaun Watson moving, Carson Wentz, Rodgers re-signing, Devontae Adams. All the, the mass exodus to the AFC, I guess you could say. But, man... I'm excited. Here's the rest of the World Cup groups. And one thing you're going to find peculiar about this World Cup is that there's really no group of death. Like, it seems like in every single World Cup, there's that one group that's like, oh my god. Like, the U.S. in 2014. Germany, Portugal, United States, and Ghana. Easily the group of death in that World Cup. Like, that's the first one that pops in my head because the United States was supposed to come in, or a lot of people out there, mostly the English fans, who are tired of the United States saying, it's called soccer thing. And they... They came in second. Should have beat Germany. Or should have beat Portugal, I should say. They tied against Portugal, lost to Germany. But man, no group of death. And I'll read out the groups you'll see for yourself. So you got the first group, Qatar's Group A. They're the hosts. They automatically qualify. So the United States, Canada, and Mexico don't need to worry about qualifying because they're already in the next World Cup because they're hosting it. Every The host always plays in the World Cup. So it'd be weird to not have the World Cup with the host in it. Uh, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. Usually groups like this are sorted towards the bottom, so I'm kind of we- it's kind of weird to see this style of group, but I'm very intrigued by that Netherlands versus Senegal match. That's the first match. Senegal versus the Netherlands. Senegal is coming off an Africa- African Cup of Nations victory, and the Dutch have a lot of very talented players that didn't even play in Euro 2020. Most notably, Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> That's a big loss for them. So all those can be bet. Those two teams are the early favorites in this group. And I think Qatar... Like in the Gold Cup, they're a talented-ass team. They guys are very good players. So, I don't know. This isn't like with South Africa playing in the World Cup where everybody knows. Apart from that weird-ass game they had where they won, I can't remember who they beat. Was it France they beat? But France was also in a weird, weird space at that point in time. I think they came out with no points in that group, which is weird. But I think Qatar could surprise some people. I think early on surprised people. Group B, again, is England, Iran, the United States, and either Scotland, Ukraine, or Wales. Group C is Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Argentina, if you did not know, is on an insane, insane, uh, what do you want to call this kind of streaks? Lossless streaks? Undefeated streaks, I guess? They're on a really weird, or not weird, they're on a really good stretch of form right now. Like, people are talking about Messi struggling with his time at PSG. Messi hasn't missed a beat with Argentina. Off the Copa America win last year. He's still kicking it with Argentina, and they are looking very, very good and are considered one of the favorites going into this World Cup, and rightfully so. This is going to be probably, now crazy things have happened before, but this is probably Messi and Ronaldo's last World Cup. Ronaldo's already toyed with the idea, and in a recent interview he did, Messi's not getting that much younger anyway, as well. So Argentina, I mean, sorry Saudi Arabia, someone had to come in last in this group, but Poland always seems to be like, they're either going to qualify through the next round, or they're coming in last. There's no in-between. They'll come out of this group with zero points. No, Saudi Arabia, I'm sorry. You're more than likely Saudi Arabia is going to come out of this group with no points. These are two good teams. These are three very good teams in this group that they're paired up against. Mexico is supposed to be in a weird, like, I don't know what you want to call it. This is supposed to be a really weird, bad time for the Mexican national team, and they still finish second in qualifying. This will be fun. Robert Lewandowski playing for Poland. Yeah, this will be a fun group. That'll be a fun one. I expect Argentina to come out on top of that one, though. And we got Group D. We got France, Denmark, Tunisia, and the AFC versus Camable qualifiers. We got Costa. Oh no, we got. Hold on. We got Qatar. Our cheese. UAE, United Arab, Arab Emirates taking on Australia, and they'll take on Peru. And the winner of that game will take on Peru, and the winner of that game will take on France in the first round of that qualifying. And France, this is an easy group for France. <laughs> this is a very easy group. I would even argue to say this is an easy group for Denmark to come in second in. I can see France coming on top of nine, Denmark with six. Like, I think this could be one of those groups where it goes nine, six, three, zero. I think that's what we're looking at with Tunisia, sadly, coming out of this group with zero points. Uh, group E, we got Spain, Germany, Japan, and the CONCACAF versus OFC qualifier, which is Costa Rica versus New Zealand. And remember in 2014, Costa Rica was one of the Cinderella stories of the World Cup, but this team, they have a lot of the same players. No one face value that might go, oh, they have a lot of the same players that they had in 2014, a, a team that went all the way, I believe, the quarterfinals. 
That should be good, right? No, because they're all old. <laughs> they're not the same players anymore. But if you had to choose a group of death, I believe it'd be that one. Spain, Germany, Japan, or Costa Rica, or New Zealand. That's what it looks like, the group of death. Because Japan's got a lot of very, very talented players in their ranks. They were a team that beat Germany in the last World Cup. I think they finished third in the group with Sweden, Germany, and who was the other team? Sweden, Germany. Because Sweden won Mexico. Sweden, Mexico, Japan, and Germany. And they beat Germany in the last game of the qualifiers. Germany, I think, came out of the World Cup with one point. They tied Sweden off a Tony Cruz free kick, or they beat Sweden. I can't remember. Tony Cruz scored a free kick at the end of the game to tie it or win it. But I remember Sweden winning the group. And it's going to be sad not having Sweden in this World Cup. And I remember on Friday, I talked about with Sweden not making the World Cup. If the United States didn't make it, I'd be cheering for England. We ain't cheering for England. We ain't cheering for England for love nor money right now. We're in the same group as them. We ain't cheering for them. That ain't happening. But I guess, again, Germany's in a weird stretch right now. Spain's kind of in a weird stretch right now. But they're going to be the top. They're, these, this group's the group of delegates. You look at some of Spain's players. They are very young. Pedri, Gavi, 17 and 19 years old. And they're two of their most important players, arguably, already. Ferran Torres is 22 years old. Unai Simon, who's expected, I mean, I'd be surprised if he wasn't, as he was the number one goalie for 2020's Euros, is only 24. Eric Garcia, in my opinion, a tad bit overrated, is 21 years old. I'm Eric Laporte's only 27. He's one of the best center backs in the world when healthy. Like, Spain's got a good team. And Germany's got a lot of good young players as well. Like, I will, uh, Florin Wirtz, Wirtz for uh, Bayer Leverkusen just tore his ACL, so that will be a big loss for them going forward. But you still got the likes of, geez, sorry, Kai Havertz was a player I was, trying to, I was trying to search for. Jamal Musiala, one of the young players transferred from the English national team. He's been a mainstay in the German national team since making that transition over. Uh, Timo Werner coming off the wing. Thomas Muller, one of the greatest German players of all time. Leroy Sané still there. They're, they're, They'll be fine. Still got Manuel Neuer in net, so it'll be... Those two teams should finish on top unless something crazy happens, which it could happen. Something crazy could happen. Uh, Group F, we got Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Croatia, again, much like, you know, Costa Rica. Coming in the World Cup, a lot of their same players they're going to have from 2018. A lot of the same players they have from 2020. They're just old. Luka Modric is 36 years old. (laughs) But they got some, they do, in fairness, have some good young players. Like, Mateo Kovacic is not necessarily a young player, but he's not extremely old. He's 27. Perisic is older. He's 33 years old. They don't have really have a good goalie situation at this point in time. Their defense, apart from Josko, jeez, Gvadidol, who's playing over for RB Leipzig over in Germany. He's one of their better players. He's one, really young, 20 years old. Dejan Lovren is still somehow kicking it around in the national team. Marcelo Brozovic was injured in the last round of World Cup qualifying, so he'll be back. But he's another one of the key players for Croatia. But don't have a lot of speed, but they're very smart. <laughs> very smart team. Morocco's got some really talented players. Actraf Hakimi being the main player there. Canada dominated World Cup qualifying in, Con- in CONCACAF. And Kyle Lahren is playing on another planet right now. Him and Jonathan David moving forward for Canada with Kyle- with Achis. Jo- uh, What's his name? Good Lord. Ah, I'm for Alfonso Davies. Good God. Very talented. Extremely. Everybody knows who Alfonso Davies is, but they're, they can make some noise. They can make some noise. What is this? Their, their first time making the World Cup since the, the 80s? Hold on. 86 was the last World Cup Canada entered. And this time they just won the 2022 World Cup. So... Or won the 20, won 2022 World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. So they can make some noise. But Belgium, again, this is their last run with the current crop of players. Because it's their quote-unquote golden generation right now. This is their last run. This is their last chance to really make some noise in a tournament. They've disappointed the past few tournaments. And then the final group, Group G, we got Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. I believe Brazil's the number one ranked team in the world. Yes, they are. They're fun. Brazil's fun. They're the only team in World Cup history to qualify for every single World Cup and they're going in as the number one ranked team in the world, at least right now. At least right now, back in April. So this could change by the time the World Cup comes around. We could see someone like England move up to number one or France jump back up to number one. But Brazil's the number one ranked team in the world, and they will win this group. They will win this group. Switzerland's always a fun team to watch in tournaments as well. And Cameroon's got some very interesting players on their team as well. So, yeah, I'm excited. Oh, Group H. I forgot about Group H. We got Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. Portugal and Ghana in the same group again like they were in 2014. Uruguay and Ghana, bad blood from 2010. 
and South Korea. So, Hyungman's son, one of the better players in the entire world. No, oh my god. Is that bad of me that I said Japan was in Sweden's group, it was South Korea? It wasn't Japan. South Korea, because Hyungman's son scored the winning goal against Germany. I got my national team switch around. I'm sorry about that. But this is a very good group as well. South Korea always puts forth a good tournament every single time. And Ghana's going to be tough as well. Portugal with Ronaldo, they're going to be the favorites of the group. But Uruguay got some very talented players as well. But man, oh man, this is going to be a fun World Cup. I hate that it's in November. I hate that it's in Qatar. But you know what? It's a World Cup. So no matter what you feel about the situation, you might hate it with all your heart. The truth of the matter is, you're going to sit down and watch the World Cup. Doesn't matter if you actually, if you go like, oh, I hate it. It's like the people that try to boycott certain groups. Are you really boycotting that? No, you're not. You're going to stick with your guns for about a day, and then you're going to go back to doing what you were doing originally. But you're going to complain about it the entire time, which is what a lot of people are going to do watching the World Cup. They go, oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate this. And then your national team scores a goal, and you go freaking crazy. Because a lot of people in the United States will be like that, because the rest of the United States... We like to pretend we care about every single situation in the world without actually caring. And uh, we're going to cheer on the United States in the World Cup. Just the truth of the matter. <laughs> as a matter of fact, <laughs> that's just how we are. But, man, it's going to be fun. It's going to be very fun. I'm so excited. for. I've never been so excited for Black Friday in my life. I don't do anything on Black Friday. Like my sister and my mom and sometimes my cousins will go out on Black Friday, but nope, I'm sitting my happy ass down and I'm watching the United States take on England in the World Cup. And then also, because I'm not 100% sure it's the same day, because I, I feel like they moved the schedule around a little bit, and now Iowa-Nebraska is more towards the middle of the season because of how bad Nebraska's been recently. So I think it might be Wisconsin, but Iowa and Nebraska has been a thing on Black Friday for ever since the rivalry restarted. Okay, it's still on Black Friday. So we got Iowa-Nebraska and the United States versus England on the same day. It's going to be... A mad one. <laughs> and I request that one of the players, whether it's Pulisic or Weston McKinney, does the Alex Morgan tea-drinking celebration when they score a goal against England. Because remember in the 20... Oh, what World Cup? What year was that? 2019 Women's World Cup? Where the United States beat the crap out of England in the, the group stage? Yeah, Alex Morgan tea-drinking celebration. Everybody had a giant fit about that. Over across the pond anyways. And, uh, yeah, I request someone does that. Christian Pulisic has shown that he's not afraid to do any celebration. Weston McKinney's got a usual magic wand thing, but uh, Christian Pulisic, he did the worm during the last World Cup qualifier after he scored a goal. He did the gritty before. Like, this dude, he's he's lifted up a shirt, said man in the mirror. He's ripped his shirt off and started yelling at fans before. Christian Pulisic is the wind-up merchant that the United States needs, and I would be, I don't know, would I be surprised if there was a captain named for the World Cup? Should there be a captain name for the United States for this World Cup? I believe there should. I don't, I'm don't. i not a massive fan of the rotating captain thing. Never really have. If I had to choose someone, I mean, his nickname's already Captain America. It's Christian Pulisic. It doesn't matter who else the captain actually is. Most people out there have called Christian Pulisic Captain America since he made his debut for the United States at 17. Like, that dude is Captain America. Tyler Adams could be the captain. Walker Zimmerman could be the captain. But Pulisic is Captain America, regardless if he's actually the captain or not. So, I would hope it's him, but Greg Berhalter might want to stick to his guns because he hasn't named a captain for any of the tournaments. He's had co-captains like the, the 2020 Gold Cup, or 2021 Gold Cup. You had Paul Areola and Sebastian Leggett as captain, with Walker Zimmerman also being a captain there as well. With, uh, with Zimmerman, or uh, Leggett and uh, Areola lifting the trophy together after the United States beat Mexico in extra time in the Gold Cup final. So, I hope he does choose a captain. I hope it's Pulisic, but you never know with these things. You never really know with these things. But before we move on to anything else here on The Logan Blackman Show, I want to just remind you all to make sure you're following The Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, you're listening to it right now, so Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But on the social media accounts, The Logan Blackman Show on Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Don't use the show's Twitter account anymore, so don't follow that. Follow Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. That's the personal account, The Logan Blackman Show one is the Instagram account. Make sure the and one are at the beginning and end of that. Facebook and YouTube are the same thing. Just search The Logan Blackman Show. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like the Facebook page. Watch a few YouTube videos. Give them some likes if you want to. We'll see if we can start posting on there again. We haven't drawn Mock Draft Minute in a while, but I don't know if we're going to start doing that again. I don't really have <laughs> the... Uh, what do you want to, the drive, I guess, to make a mock draft minute anymore. But we'll see. We'll see if we get back to those here in a little bit since the draft is coming up at the end of April. But then... 
Also, you're listening to it right now. Make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating out of five stars. Let us know how each episode is. Let us know how the show is in general. I greatly appreciate it. Right now, we are on 15 ratings out of five. We have five, 15 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a rating on, on Spotify as well. And hell, I think for us recording a show on a Monday for the first time since February 21st, you have to leave a rating on a five stars on Apple Podcast. You have to. Like, this is the first time in forever that we recorded an episode on a Monday. You have to. Like, you have to. It contra- you are contractually obligated to leave a rating on a five stars. It could be one star. Yeah, if you really want to go on your high, high horse here and leave a one star rating, go ahead. I <laughs> don't, it don't bother me, but leave a reason down below saying, I don't like Logan, or I'm doing this as a practical joke, LOL, April Fool's, even though it's not April Fool's anymore, yeah, that's what we're looking at right now, <laughs> but man, I wanted to talk about the mock draft a little bit more, because remember, we talked about it on Friday, if you haven't, if you haven't checked it out, I would recommend you check it out on the LoganBlackmanShow.com, you can also check it out on all different forms of social media, on my Instagram, TheLoganBlackmanShow.com, or look, these, the Logan Blackman Show. There is a picture there. And I guess on both Instagram accounts, the link is in the descri- in my bio on both Instagram accounts. Twitter and Facebook, I post the link on there. Or again, you can just go to the LoganBlattmanShow.com and go under the blog tab, and it'll be the first blog that pops up on there. Just a quick recap for those of you who don't remember what we went over during Mock Draft, Mon- or Mock Draft Friday. I guess it's Mock Draft Monday technically, so we have to go over it today as well. And just quick fire, uh, number one, we went with Trayvon Walker from Georgia to Jacksonville just because... Uh, if you look at how the Jacksonville Jaguars offseason has been so far in regards to some of the free agent acquisitions they made, and even last year with the Urban Meyer signing, like there's really no rhyme or reason to anything the Jaguars are doing. So just makes sense to go with the complete wild card here and go with Trayvon Walker, where a lot of people consider Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan the number one guy, with a lot of fans out there even saying Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon is better than Trayvon Walker. And I think there's even an argument more for Ike McQuanu from NC State, the guard-tackle hybrid, to be selected here. But I think with Walker's athletic ability, what he's done in the combine and his his pro day workouts, and Balky being a a little bit of a crazy person, they're going to go with the potential. We're going to go with like an NBA-style draft here where we're going more on potential than what you actually did in college because if you look at the numbers, Trayvon Walker really didn't do a whole lot at Georgia. But I, again, I'll defend Walker. I know we're kind of going off of the realm of Balky doesn't know what he's doing which is you could say that for a lot of things, so he's going to go with a player that's not that good. That's not what I'm saying here. Walker is a very, very good football player. Just watch some tape that he has where he chases down different players. His speed for how big he is is ridiculous, and you can't teach that. He's the fastest, most athletic edge rusher in this class. But the reason his numbers aren't as good is because of the position he plays. So he was originally a D-tackle, and then he cut down 15 pounds from 290 to 275 to move to an edge rusher spot. And didn't have, you know, an insane jump in production. But you drop down weight. You're playing a whole new position. There's going to be some learning curve there. But I think Walker could develop into an insane edge rusher at the next level if given the proper coaching, which you don't know if you're actually going to get down in Jacksonville or not. But uh, what's his name? Peterson. Doug Peterson's a Super Bowl champion head coach. So, I mean, I know he's an offensive guy, but he's a Super Bowl champion head coach. He's going to surround the Jaguars with a good coaching staff, one would assume. And I think someone like Walker could benefit from that. Number two, Aiden Hutchinson, if Walker falls. I think these are the top two picks anyways. I do think there's an outside shot, a very big – well, not very big, but I think there's a solid chance Malik Willis could select it here just because of the fact played for Dan Campbell at the Senior Bowl. Dan Campbell has expressed his wishes to transition his offense to a more athletic stuff. Mark Brunel has said the exact same thing pretty much as quarterback coach, offense coordinator. I think he's the OC. He might just be the quarterback coach. Has said the same thing. They can opt out of Goff's crown track after this year. If we're talking about athletic ceilings and a, a potential, Malik Willis is clearly the top quarterback in this draft class. If we're talking about just potential upside, all that. If we're talking rawness, out of the top five guys in this draft, and the top five guys will consider like Pickett, Willis, um, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell. Those are the top five guys, in my opinion. All of them are very good athletes. But Malik Wells is the best. Malik Wells has a strong arm as well, but he's also the most scary when it comes to accuracy. But I think that also comes to the fact that he suffers from Josh Allen syndrome, which is a syndrome that is something that I have the strongest arm on the field. I can fit the ball in every single hole possible. I can make every single throw on the field, so you force things more than you should. And Wells also, at times you saw it against Ole Miss, tries to play hero ball a little bit more, which rarely works. 
And I think sitting behind someone like Jared Goff or even we took in the Pittsburgh, someone like Trubisky, for two years, one to two years, would be very, very good for him. But I just think, I hope that if he gets drafted by a team with an established starter, people don't forget that he's a raw prospect. Because I remember, like, Trey Lance going into the draft was seen as an insanely raw prospect. Everybody should have thought Trey Lance is not challenging Jimmy G for the starting job. And yet everybody's surprised that J- Trey Lance didn't push Jimmy G out of the starting spot. What? We had conversations about Trey Lance not starting an entire season, and now that he didn't start the entire season, now we have questions about if Trey Lance is actually good. People say the same thing about Jordan Love. The difference is Jordan Love is freaking Aaron Rodgers in front of him. If Jordan Love was in a situation where he had somebody like, I don't know, I don't want to use Jimmy Garoppolo, but someone of that nature, then yeah, I'd have that conversation. Not one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who's just won back-to-back MVPs. I don't think we can have that conversation about if Jordan Love's actually good or not because no one at right now, there is two quarterbacks in the NFL that are challenging Aaron Rodgers right now, and that's Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. That's it. So to say Jordan Love sucks because he can't uproot Aaron Rodgers is a little insane to me to think about. But back to the pick, Aiden Hutchinson's the best player in the draft. If he falls to Detroit, they're taking him. They need edge rushers. They need defensive help. I mean, there's not really a lot to say about that. Uh, number three, Houston, Ikem Aquanu. I, uh, they brought back Laramie Tunsil. Titus Howard can play guard and tackle. Has played mostly guard in his time in the NFL. Former first-round draft pick has been up and down with his uh, stuff recently. <laughs> but Aquanu would slot in at right tackle or guard and solidify their O-line. If they believe in Davis Mills, they have to give him an O-line. Uh, number four, the Jets, Kayvon Thibodeau. I'll say the same thing. They picked Drake London at number 10. The two things they have tried to add this offseason, though they have failed at both, is an edge rusher and a wide receiver. Tried to trade for Chad, uh, Chandler Jones or get Chandler Jones. They tried to get Tyreek Hill. They've tried to get DK Metcalf. They tried to get all these receivers. They're going to take an edge rusher. It seems like right now they're going to take an edge rusher and a wide receiver. Robert Sala came from San Francisco where they drafted five defensive linemen in six years in the first round. Like they drafted Eric Armstead, DeForest Butner, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, and Javon Kinlaw. Like, or seven years, sorry. No, six, yeah, six years. Like, what? <laughs> He's going to try and implement that here. Joe Douglas has not drafted a defensive player until like six, pick 60-something. So this will be new range for him. But Robert Sala came from a team that built their team to go to a Super Bowl with their defensive line in mind first. So... That's really what we're looking at here with the 49ers. I think are the Jets. I do think there's a realistic shot they take Ahmad Gardner, but from what the reports are saying, they like Gardner a lot. They want to take him at 10. So I think someone like Thibodeau or Walker or someone of that nature, or maybe Aquanu, just because Joe Douglas being a former offensive lineman wants to solidify his O line even more, even though they did bring in Lincoln Tomlinson this offseason to play guard. And um Mekhi Becton should be back and healthy. But they need some help on the edge rusher. You're in a division with Josh Allen. You're going to need some help edge rushers. You're going to need some edge rushers. You can get a decent corner in the second round as well, like Kyrie Elam, Tarek Wolin, um, Roger McCreary, Kyler Gordon, even maybe Andrew Booth. So, like, you could get some good corners or safeties like Daxon Hill, Jaquan Brisker, Lewis Seen, Jalen Petrie. Like, there's some good players in the secondary in the second round. Edge rushers are deep as well. But if you have an opportunity to take Thibodeau at four, you move in and take him. Uh, Giants at five, Evan Neal. Need all line help. There's not really too much to say about that. Panthers at six. There's too many connections here for me to say Kenny Pickett's not going to Carolina. David Tepper, the owners from Pittsburgh, went to Pittsburgh, is reportedly infatuated with Kenny Pickett. And similarly to that of the Giants in 2019, where they drafted Daniel Jones, will it be seen as a reach by everybody? Yes. But if the owner now the Giants situation was Dave Gettleman, the GM. He knew get he knew uh, Dave Cutcliffe, worked with the Mannings, Eli was there already, so it made sense. This one's just the sake of the owner likes him, the coach has recruited him, the coach got him to commit to the team he was coaching at at the time, it makes too much sense. I know their O-line stinks, but Sam Darnold's not that dude. He's not that guy, pal. He's not that guy. I know a lot of people be yelling for Willis here, but there's too many connections there. Giants, Ahmad Gardner at seven. James Bradbury's been linked with a trade the entire offseason. If, if Thibodeau's there, they take Thibodeau. If not, they're taking Gardner. Seven, Falcons, they have no wide receivers. They really have nothing. They're probably the worst team in the NFL going into the season. They have nothing. Uh, they need wide receivers a lot. We're going to take them Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, give him a dog out wide. Number nine, Seahawks, Charles Cross. Dwayne Brown still a free agent. O-line has been in shambles the entire time Russell Wilson was there. Now he's gone. Drew Locke's there. 
who is a whole lot less mobile than Drew than Russell Wilson and does not have that same magic to escape the pocket like he does. So they need to develop an off the line and get some people in there to help protect whoever the quarterback is. Willis will be a shot here as well, but I, again, I forced the trade with Willis going to Pittsburgh or Pitt going to Pitt. I think he's going to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I don't think he's going to 20, but that's just how I wanted to make it happen, so I forced it, okay? And then 10, like we said, they're trying to take an edge rusher or wide receiver. They're going to take Drake London. And then Pickett or uh, Willis going to 20 to Pittsburgh. Buffalo taking Brees Hall because, again, like we talked about on Friday, the Bills, there's things. Brandon Bean said the number one priority is protect Josh Allen, okay? Protect Josh Allen's priority number one. Sean McDermott has said that he wishes Josh Allen would not run as much. Number three, Devin Singletary is a free agent in 2023, so could be traded. Brees Hall is 6'1", 220 pounds, ran a 4.39 at the Combine. For someone that big, that should not be running that fast. He's a really complete back. He breaks tackles, which if you look at the Bills' recent drafts, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, they're both in the top three in college football, or at least top five in college football in regards to broken tackles when they got drafted. They're just not as good as Brees Hall. Brees Hall's a monster dude. And people out there saying, oh, I don't want a running back to take the, field, to take the ball to Josh Allen's hands. Those people are stupid because the only thing you need to do to stop the Bills is stop Josh Allen, which is easier said than done, but you have no running game. 99% of football teams out there run the ball to set up the pass. The Bills' run game is so bad, they're setting up the run by passing. That's not how that should work. If the Bills want to get their offense to even a higher level, they got to establish some sort of a running game outside of Josh Allen. You look at that game against the Bucks, where I have talked about the Bills game against the Bucks being that turning point in the Bills' season where they transitioned to, oh yeah, our running game sucks, we should pass the ball to open up lanes in the run game. Josh Allen was the only one that touched the ball out of the backs in that first half and almost died. So, for the people saying don't draft a running back in the first round, if you have no running back and really don't have any other needs on your roster, take him in the first round. So you're telling me, GM out there, you wouldn't take Jonathan Taylor in the first round? Jonathan Taylor fell in the second round. Do you think the Chiefs would look at that draft and go, man, I wish we didn't take Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round. I bet we wish we took Jonathan Taylor the currently best running back coming off last season. You want to take Derrick Henry in the first round? Like, those guys fell to the second round, but you're telling me you would not, if you went back and redrafted those draft class, they would not fall in the first round. Like, I understand the argument to a certain extent, but come on. The best player or the player that helps your team the most, take them so no one else can take them. The Bills need a running back. Bad. I love Devin Singletary. I really like Zach Moss. More as they're what they are as people more than what they do actually running the football because the Bills, and yes, this also goes down there off the line, but you look at when Ryan Bates got introduced to the starting guard, their old line transformed completely. And then they brought in Roger, Sa- Roger Saffold from Tennessee who just worked with Derrick Henry for the past however many years, building the best rushing attack in the NFL or one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. Their running game's only going to get better. And adding someone like Brees Hall... Stop with the whole thing of taking the ball to Josh Allen's hands. That argument's stupid. You need a stat. You need a con- uh, uh, what do you want to call it? A complete offense. The Bills are so one-dimensional; it hurts. They're good at very good, elite at that one dimension. But imagine how much more elite they could be if they had something to go. Oh, I don't think they're passing right here. They're only running. That's it. The Bengals, very complete team, just made it to the Super Bowl. And their own line stunk. Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Burrow, C.J. Uzama. Awesome pieces all over their offense. I think a lot of Bills fans would take someone like Joe Mixon, and Brees Hall compares a lot to Joe Mixon. The Bills allowed five rushing t- five touchdowns against the Colts last year with Jonathan Taylor. After that game, I think most Bills fans out there were saying, hey, we could get someone like we should get someone like Jonathan Taylor. Brees Hall. Stop with the take ball that Josh Allen's hands. No, that's what they need to do because he's gonna freaking die. Man. But yeah, again, you can check out the mock draft on the LoganBlightmanshow.com, all different forms of social media as well. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The links are all there on my Instagram page. Again, the link is in the description or in my bio, whatever you want to call it. You can find the posts for each thing on Twitter and Instagram as well. So yeah, that's what I want to talk about for those two things. But I would like to talk about this. I didn't really know where I wanted to talk about this. 
but I wanted to look at it a little bit. So people are talking about this draft class being the worst draft class of all time in regards to quarterbacks, or at least in the past 20 years or so. And there's been some terrible, terrible quarterback draft classes. And we're going to just talk about the first round, okay? I don't want to double dip into the second round or third round or fourth round because I know there's some great quarterbacks that have fallen in those rounds. Tom Brady was a sixth rounder. Russell Wilson was a third rounder. Derek Carr was a second rounder. Like, there's some good quarterbacks that fall into that day two, day three round of the draft, but we're not going to talk about it here because when you look at when you're first going into a draft, your initial thought process is judging the quarterback draft class off the top five guys usually. Usually. Again, there's different circumstances to everything. So we're not going to look at just the top. I'm just going to look at the first round guys. Some drafts have more first round guys than the other, like 2018 at five. But 2013 had one. So that's just what we're going to look at here. So going back, because I'm not, I'm not, well, no, we're going to, hmm. I was going to make a tier list, but I, I decided against. So we're just going to go in and just read off who the quarterbacks were taken in that draft. We're going to start off with 2021, and I'm going to compare it to the now, the draft class now. I'm not going to say which one is, this one's S tier, this one's A tier, or F tier, or whatever. We're going to go through each one and say, is it better than 2022? Simple, okay? Which draft class is better? So 2021, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, top three picks in the draft. Then Justin Fields and Mac Jones, taking 15. So five quarterbacks taken in the first 15 picks of the draft. I think that's a record. It's got to be some sort of a record there. Three quarterbacks taken in the first three picks. First time that it happened since the Achilles Smith, Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb draft, which was back in 99, uh, I think. 1999? But you look at this, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson were up and down. Zach, Justin Fields, same way. Trey Lance didn't play. Mac Jones was the best. Davis Mills was really the best, if we're giving the circumstances that they were in. Because Mac Jones came into a Patriots team that, yes, didn't make the playoffs last year, but just revamped their entire roster pretty much. Mac Jones was in the best situation at that point in time. But I think Davis Mills, if you're looking at the situation, the coaches, the, the weapons he had, a team that could have gone 0-17, he played very, very well. But again, we're not going to talk about him. I think potential-wise, Zach Wilson and Trey Lance could ball out in the future. Justin Fields, I love Justin Fields. Or love, I like Justin Fields a lot. Athletically, leadership-wise, great stuff. I want to see him improve his throwing a little bit more. But athletically, dude's awesome. Trey Lance, same thing. Very athletic. He's going to be the starter for the 49ers this year. Again, it sounds like regardless of what Jimmy G is doing this offseason, or this season, whatever, Trey Lance looks like he's going to be the starter. Zach Wilson, at times, looked very bad, especially in the early portion of the season. As the season progressed, he started looking a lot and a lot more comfortable with the offense that he was working with and the team he had. And now you got a team coming into this season that's improved. You brought in Lake and Tomlinson again. You, by my mock draft, you're going to bring in Drake London. And that's just the first round. And Robert Salas said, and I didn't bring this up with Thibodeau, I don't know if I did this on Friday, Robert Salas said, we want to take the pressure off Zach Wilson. A lot of people are going to look at that as, we want wide receivers. We want linemen. We want running backs. But you got to look at it from the fact that they can't stop anybody. There were portions last season where they got beat by like 40 points. Like they allowed 50 points against the Patriots. Zach Wilson and that offense were not good enough, or at least developed enough, to beat a team that was scoring 50 points on them. You know how in sync you have to be with your offense to score that many points in the NFL? And how out of sync you have to be to allow that many points in the NFL. That's how bad they were on defense last year. So I'm not going to judge Zach Wilson too harshly on that. But this draft class was very good in regards to just prospect-wise. Just in the first round. So I would take last year's draft class over this one. Okay? See what we're doing here? Then we got 2020. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Tua, and Jordan Love. Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't really need to do a lot of, re <laughs> a lot of explaining here. This quarterback draft class is better. Two of the best, but two top six quarterbacks in the NFL, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. I like Tua, and I think Jordan Love should stop getting as much hate as he does because he's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. But the top two guys in this draft class, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, two of the top six quarterbacks in the NFL. It's simple. 2019, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins. This draft class, to me, is very similar to this draft class in a certain some capacity, some capacity. Now, there's no Kyler Murray here, so this draft class gets that bump. Kyler Murray is better than every quarterback. Justin Fields is better than every quarterback in this draft class, arguably. But you got an athlete. You got a situation, and I didn't even think about this. The Panthers and Giants are both picking at six and both employed Dave Gettleman. So 
David Gettleman's not with Carolina anymore, but you know it. He did before he went up to the Giants. Dwayne Haskins was one hit wonder in college. Played one year at Ohio State. Capitalized it. Broke a lot of records in the Big Ten. I think he broke every single significant passing record. I could be wrong about that, but he broke a lot of records. Beat out Joe Burrow for the starting job, though Joe Burrow got hurt. Did beat him out technically. So that could be your um, so Daniel Jones. Well, Daniel Jones never had a season like Kenny Pickett did. Both played in the ACC though, but he never had that season where he scored, broke every single ACC passing record. But that could be similar to that of Dwayne Haskins. But Kenny Pickett's more athletic than Haskins. Willis is at that is more athletic. I would uh, it's close. I, I guess I would give it to Kyler. He'd play. He was almost professional in two sports, so I'll give that one to Kyler. I think Willis has a stronger arm, but it's a lot less in tone than Kyler Murray's was. And then who would Daniel Jones be, represent in this draft class? I think Matt Corral is a better prospect. I think Desmond Ritter is a better prospect. So, like, if you're looking at this draft class as a whole, you might you could make an argument 2022 is better. You could. Because is Daniel Jones better than Kenny Pickett? No. Is he better than Willis? I don't think so. Is he better than Corral? No. Just talking about prospects. What you saw them do in college. Better than Ritter? I don't think so. So, there's an argument to be made there about 2022 being better than 2019. I think there's a very solid argument you can make there. 2018, again, this is the Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen draft. This one's better. <laughs> you have a top two quarterback in the NFL, Josh Allen, the first, second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. You're, that draft class is better. Next one, Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson. Yeah, this one, Mahomes and Watson. It's simple. I like Trubisky a lot, but he's not on that level with those two guys. I'm sorry. Uh, 2016, Goff and Wentz. Is there anybody else? Take? Jet, Paxton Lynch. Okay. So like this draft class, where there's three quarterbacks taken in the first round, I think there's there could be three taken in this one. I think Corral could sneak into the, sec- the first round. Sneak in. But I don't know if I did this on Friday. If I had to predict quarterback destinations, just out of my top five guys, okay? So again, that's Pickett, Willis, Corral, Ritter, Howell. Pickett to Carolina, Willis to Pittsburgh, Corral to Seattle, Ritter to Atlanta, and uh, Sam Howell to Detroit. That's what my predictions are for where the quarterbacks will be selected, just for different, just for something different. But Goff went to a Super Bowl. Wentz went to a Super Bowl, didn't play in it because he tore his ACL, was the MVP of the league before he tore his ACL. Goff is now in Detroit looking to get replaced. Carson Wentz has been traded twice in two years. And Paxton Lynch was out of the NFL as soon as he got in. But as prospects... I think you would take this draft class. It's close. It's close. Because the argument is that this draft class is really good. Wentz dominated North Coast State, but he's at FCS level. Willis, similar thing, played really well for Liberty, but they played independent and did play a lot of really good teams. Played Ole Miss, and he played a little hero ball. But that's a similar thing to Wentz, so I guess that one's kind of similar. Goff never put up gaudy numbers while he was at Cal. But he was a fun quarterback at Cal. Paxton Lynch put up really good numbers while at Memphis, but uh, he was just really slow. <laughs> so he fell to the lower end of the first round. But I think there's an argument you can make with 2022 versus this one. I think there's an argument. I'm never. I'm not going to say which one's better between the two, <laughs> or between each draft class, because I feel like I'll get crucified or something if I say 2022 is better than any draft class. I think I feel like I just get in trouble. Uh, 2015, Winston Mariota. Was there any other quarterbacks taking the first round of this draft? No, there was not. Just Winston Mariota taking one and two. This one. And we're just specifically talking about prospects. Winston was the second ever freshman to win a Heisman behind Johnny Manziel. Won a national championship his freshman year as well. And Mariota was the most popular quarterback in all of college football when he played. Mariota inspired a whole face mask. He had an 808 face mask for Hawaii's area code. Like, Marcus Mariota is one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. This draft class is better for quarterback. First, again, specifically first round. Specifically. Okay? We're not judging the entire thing. But Mariona and Winston, just from what they did at college level, they were insane in college. Uh, next one, 2014. This one was not great. Blake Bortles. Then you had Johnny Manziel. Then you had Teddy Bridgewater. That's not great. <laughs> Johnny Manziel, like Mariota. One, considered one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Went to the Browns. Not very all there mentally. Just put it like that. Blake Bortles stinks. Teddy Bridgewater 
more of a person that people remember for his knee injury more than anything he's actually done on a football field. I think more people have sympathy for Teddy Bridgewater than actually think he's a good quarterback. Because he's just, he's below average. He's not, nothing special. But I think people just like, oh, he tore his, remember when he destroyed his knee in Vikings practice? Yeah, that was really sad. We should sign him. We should really sign him. But yeah. Not a great draft class here. I would probably, I could argue because I don't think there's a guy like Willis or like um, like Manziel that's mentally a problem. <laughs> so I might take 2022 because Bortles was fine at UCF. Big quarterback that could move, strong arm. I might take 2022. So I'm taking 2022 or I had a conversation about taking 2022 three times. And I'm taking over 2013. That one I'll gladly say 2013. EJ Manuel's the only one taken in the first round. This quarterback draft class sucks. This might be the worst quarterback draft of all time. 2013. But who all was in? Let's look at the full spectrum of things. Was Russell Wilson in this draft class? Please don't tell me he was in this draft class. Okay, he wasn't. No. Tyler Wilson was. No, this draft class stunk. We're not. That's the worst class of all time for quarterbacks. Out of the entire thing, I'll gladly say 2022 is better than that. Uh, next one, 2012, RG3, Andrew Luck. No, that one's better. Just those two guys. RG3 won the Heisman at Baylor, and Andrew Luck was considered the greatest prospect of all time. So, no, we're, <laughs> we're, we're taking that one. Next one, 2011, Cam Newton, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker. Man, and we're just talking about face value, just the top guy, Cam Newton. Yeah, we're taking this one. There's no Cam Newton in this draft class. But Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert. Jake Locker going in number eight is one of the sh- most shocking draft picks of all time. Like, no one thought that was actually going to happen. And then it did. For some reason, Jake Locker was out of the league in like three years. Uh, 2010, Sam Bradford. I think this is the Tim Tebow draft as well. Yep. Uh, outside of Bradford, this draft class kind of stunk for quarterbacks, at least in the first round. What are, what are the other quarterbacks in this draft class? Just so we could see. Oh, Jimmy Clausen, Colt McCoy. Like, if we're just talking about college quarterbacks, those are three, those are four very good college quarterbacks. I wasn't a massive fan of Jimmy Clausen. Kind of a pain in the ass. He got punched in the face at a bar one time and had to wear a dark visor because he had a massive black eye for a little bit. But I might, other than, no, I would have to take that one because there's that at least that one guy you can go, that's the number one guy. Uh, 2009, Matt Stafford uh, just won the Super Bowl, signed a nice little contract extension with the Fort, with the Rams. Josh Freeman had a decent spell in the NFL for a little bit. Mark Sanchez with the AFC title game two years in a row. Probably take this one just because, again, Stafford, the top guy there. Uh, 2008, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco. Two solid quarterbacks in the NFL. There's a conversation had for Matt Ryan in the Hall of Fame. I think he has a better case than Matt Stafford does. That's just me. But I don't think either one of them should be in the Hall of Fame. But I, I would take 2008. 2007, we got Jamarcus Russell. Just talking about prospects. He was seen as a good prospect because how big he was. Brady Quinn. I mean, it's hard to look at this one with through the lens of just the draft. It's really hard. Because looking back at this is terrible. <laughs> he had the biggest bust of all time, or one of the biggest busts of all time. Him and Ryan Leaf, depending on who you ask, are considered the top two busts of all time. I think Courtney Brown could be mentioned up there a little bit. <laughs> no, not Courtney Brown. I feel bad for Courtney Brown. But, man. Physically, Jamarcus Russell was awesome. But not all mentally there. So you could make an argument for 2022. You could make an argument there. But again, for draft class, for just draft class specific, it'd be hard for that one. 2006, Vince Young, Matt Leinart, Jay Cutler. I mean, Vince Young and Matt Leinart are two of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. So you got you probably are taking 2006 in that one, probably. 2005, Rodgers and Alex Smith. You're taking 2005. 04, this is what sparked this entire thing. Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger, JP Lossman. <laughs> I saw a, a thing on on Twitter. From the NFL's official Twitter cast, 2004, GOAT QB class, question mark? And I threw J.P. Lossman in there because I feel like he's getting disrespected. <laughs> but no, this one is definitely one of the greatest of all time. That one in 83, where you got Elway, Marino, and Kelly. And then obviously, you know, Jacob Eason and Dave, Dave, Dave O'Brien. Or D- Dave, not Dave O'Brien, what's his name? Oh no, what was his name? O'Brien. Played for the Jets. What was his name? Oh no. Todd Blackledge was in that draft class as well, but who was the Jets quarterback? O'Brien. Ken O'Brien. Ken O'Brien. Yeah, uh, 2004 is <laughs> for that one. Uh, 2003, Carson Palmer, Brian Leftwich, Kyle Bowler. <laughs> no, we're taking 2003. Carson Palmer won the Heisman at USC, won the Orange Bowl against Iowa. 
Yeah, we're taking 2003. 2002, David Carr got murdered. Joey Harrington sucked in the time in the NFL. And Patrick Ramsey. In hindsight, that's a terrible draft class for quarterbacks. But David Carr was a baller at Fresno State. Joey Harrington was one of the faces of college football while playing at Oregon. So I think just on prospect level, you'd have to take 2002. 2001, Mike Vick. There we go. We're just taking that one. <laughs> 2000, uh, 2000, this is the Courtney Brown draft. Uh, what quarterbacks were taken in this class? Was this... So Chad Pennington. Oh, this is the Brady draft. Chad Pennington. I mean, I think you might have to take 2022. Just on pro- I know Tom Brady was in this draft class. I know that. But we're not looking at it from the fact of that Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. We're looking at the fact that Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. Doesn't matter. First round only. Chad Pennington was coming from an FCS school in Marshall. So, conversation could be had. 99, Tim Couch, McNabb, Achilles Smith. Ugh, yuck. But, again, there were top three picks in the draft, so you kind of have to, it's going to be hard to separate 1999 from 2022 when you don't even think one of them could be selected in the top 10. So, yeah, the 98, Manning, Leaf. Yeah, we're taking that one. Uh, 97, this one was Jim Druckenmiller. Miller. <laughs> so, uh, we're taking that at 2022. But that, back to the 98 one. Man, I want to talk about Leaf versus Marcus Russell real quick. Why are why is Leaf or Re- Marcus Russell considered the great biggest bust of all time? Who is really the biggest bust of all time? I think it's Ryan Leaf. Because if you look at what was expected of Ryan Leaf, they were having conversations between him and Peyton Manning. And the Chargers were content with whoever fell to number two, because they were taking whoever. Leaf was considered more athletic, considered to have a strong arm, but there's concerns for character. I don't know why, but there's concerns for his character. So I think he's the number one biggest bust of all time. But I, I, I get arguments for Jamarcus Russell, too. I get those as well. I get those as well. But in that in that whole thing, we always go back to 1997 when we talk about drafts. I was the year I was born. So in all those drafts, I think 2022 has an argument to be better than, I think I said, four of them. I don't remember exact years, but I think people are going too mental right now. Because I think if you look back, and like let's just go back to 2021. Let's see how many consecutive classes had a quarterback taken first overall. So we had Trevor Lawrence going there. And then we had Joe Burrow. And then we had Kyler Murray. And then we had Baker Mayfield. And then we had Miles Garrett. So we've had, what is that? Mayfield, Murray, Burrow, Lawrence. We've had four straight years of a quarterback going number one overall. And then past 2017 when Maris Garrett was taken there, then it was Goff, and then it was Winston. And then 2014, we had Jadavian Clowney. So we've had draft... A lot of quarterbacks selected first overall. So it seems like when people just don't see a quarterback they like first overall, it's the worst quarterback draft class of all time. Initial reaction. Even though these quarterbacks are very talented. Kenny Pickett just finished third in the Heisman Trophy race. Malik Willis is one of the most athletically gifted quarterbacks in draft. In just the past few drafts, just athletically gifted quarterbacks. Corral's one of the toughest dudes in college football. Ritter's very experienced. Looks like he's 40 years old. <laughs> Sam Howell has all the tools in the world, just seems he needs to be consistent with it. Like, this is a good, fine quarterback class. I, I, It hurts a little bit to go, like, this draft class is the worst of all time. When you see EJ Manuel was the only quarterback drafted in 2013, in the first round. So I would say this draft class is not the worst. I'm not saying it's the best either. It doesn't rival some of, like, the 2020 draft class. Or, or, the, or the 20, yeah, 2020, 2021, or a 2018 draft class. I'm not saying it argues or battles those. But it's not the worst ever. Jim Drunken Miller was drafted the only quarterback in the first round in 97. And did anybody know that dude existed before we started talking about him on these tier list things? No. <laughs> so let's calm down on bashing this quarterback class, okay? I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying it's amazing or it'll be the best ever. But, man, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. And there will definitely be quarterbacks taken in the first round because that's just the, the nature of the NFL draft. There will be a quarterback taken in the first round. The quarterback has never been more important in the NFL than it has been right now because of that Chiefs-Bills game. Can your quarterback beat that guy? The Panthers think. Can the Steelers think? Can the Lions think? Can the Falcons think? Can the... What is the other team we said? The Seahawks think their quarterback is good enough to beat those quarterbacks. No. So there's going to be quarterbacks taken in the first round, whether you actually believe that they are worth first-round draft picks or not. Quarterback is the most important position in sports. Not just in football, in sports. 
if your quarterback can't beat the other team's quarterback, the chances of you winning are small. This isn't 2000 where you had Kerry Collins and Trent Dilfer in the Super Bowl. No, 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 no. The quarterback position has never been as good technically as it's been right now. And I will die on that hill. If your quarterback's not good enough, there will be quarterbacks taking the first round. If there's not, I will be shot. But again, this is supposed to be one of the most shocking drafts of all time. So I guess it's nothing that should really surprise me that much. But man, I would, I, it'll be fun. I'm excited for the draft. But before we end the show, uh, March Madness, the, fa- the championship is here. It is the Roy Williams Bowl. I know Roy Williams is neither coach of North Kansas nor North Carolina. But North Carolina beat Coach K in his last ever game. And Kansas was always up against Villanova. So we got Kansas versus North Carolina. I'm taking North Carolina because I love North Carolina. Or love North Carolina. I always liked watching North Carolina grow up. Growing up, I have a pair of North Carolina basketball shorts. My uncle's a big North Carolina fan. We're taking UNC. No rhyme or reason behind it, but we got the national championship game. I'm sorry I'm not talking about it more, but again, my bracket sucks. My bracket is awful. (laughs) So, like, again, I'm not doing very hot. And when I'm not doing very hot and, like, my bracket pools or something like that, I don't really care. Is that wrong of me? Probably. But I'm sorry. I just don't really care. If my bracket stinks, I'm not going to be paying attention as much. So with that being said, <laughs> I hope you do enjoy watching the college basketball championship game between North Carolina and Kansas. I'll be watching. I, I, I will be watching, but I will just not be sitting there uh, banking on everything to succeed. That's not what I'm going to hope for. <laughs> so with that being said, I hope you enjoyed the show, though. And I will see you all next time. Hopefully recording on a Wednesday. Hopefully you have a Wednesday show coming out. If, I, if not, I apologize for that, but I will see you all later. Peace.